Welcome to a bonus segment. Bonus means we've got more to talk about. And uh, we're going to talk today, or we have been talking today with Dr. Vaughn Walker and Dr. Chuck Tackett, both of those gentlemen at First Gethsemane Church. And we've been talking about race relations, and we've been talking about, uh, you know, growing up in the South and growing up in, it's funny, segregated Ohio, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we always think south of the Mason-Dixon is where all the problems were, but we were just talking in the break that there's been, at the time of this taping, there's been some racial uh, violence in Minnesota, you know, start going north. So either way, wherever you go, you run into it. And uh and in full disclosure here, we're, we're going to talk on this bonus segment a little bit more uh, specifically about, uh, you know, West Louisville and, and talking honestly to the point of possible uncomfortableness here as me being, I grew up in Shively for 28 years. I now live in Middletown. So I've lived on both ends of the extreme counties as far as east and southwest counties, you know. And so, um, and I work, I'm a realtor by trade, but I, I grew up working on Dixie Highway uh, and I do Meals on Wheels twice a month and my route is in Shawnee Park. That's been one of the greatest blessings in the past 16 years of doing that. So, but my point to it is you have to be intentional to get in your car to go if you're 30 minutes away where an area of town that you are not familiar with and the only time you see something in West Louisville, if it's on your TV station or your radio station or on social media, and you shake your head at it or you go, gosh, there's a lot of problems there, there's a lot of people that are indifferent to that and just don't care. I mean, there's a lot of people that says, you know what, that's their problem and not my problem. But there are also a large contingent of, of people in church and not in church, but we're talking to people who are, are Christ followers who are in church maybe right now and saying, okay, what do I do? And just recently, the past few weeks ago, Governor Bevan, whether you agree or disagree, he said, hey, we need to be in these neighborhoods praying in these neighborhoods. So we want to talk today with Dr. Walker, who mm-hmm. is a pastor for 30 plus years in West Louisville. Uh, what do we as white folks on the other side of the county or where, regardless of where you live, what do we do to help be a solution and not just somebody observing the problem? Well, and, and so, yeah, talk about that. Uh, Chuck, one of the things that you have done is you, mm-hmm. you said, I, I've got to use the skill set that God has given me. I've been mm-hmm. trained and equipped and prepared that, I, that I'm going to do and, and intermingle, not intermingle, but um, live and breathe and invest my life into the African-American community. Yeah, I, <clears throat> excuse me. I, I think whatever your skill set is, whatever your giftedness is, um, and whatever community in which you live, I think you have the responsibility to utilize your skill set there. But I think you have to take your skill set and expand it out. Okay, I, I don't. I don't want to live my life where I'm just concerned about Jerusalem. Okay, I want to just continue to expand my life outwardly because I think that's what God wants me to do, and I think God wants us as believers to do that. So pay attention to Jerusalem, but also expand out what your ministry is going to be. So what I'd encourage the listeners to do is is whatever your skill sets are, whether they're whether they're skill sets by birth, whether they're skill sets. You know, giftedness by birth, giftedness by education, giftedness by life experience, um, whatever spiritual gifts you have, 
whatever other general skill sets you have, take those skill sets and utilize them here in Louisville. And you can begin with praying. You can begin by doing the prayer walking, and that's absolutely essential. But you have skill sets, you have gifts, you have abilities, and you need to take those abilities and you need to apply them in this community more than just what your job is. And so for me, as a licensed clinical psychologist who's very interested in marriage, I've got to take my skill set. I've got to take the things and the information that God's given me, and I've got to expand that into the African-American community. And for me, to, to have failed to fail to do that would be sin for me, okay? And so I just felt that. And so years ago at the lunch that Dr. Walker and I had, and I was just sharing with him places that I've been, things have been going on, and we've been colleagues for a number of years at a certain locale. And, uh, um, you know, I, I just really felt I had to do that. I had to go ahead and take my skill set and, so, and apply it to the community. So when Dr. Walker invited me to join, and in a sense of being on staff, even though I'm not a member, it's like, okay, Doc. And I think what Dr. Walker took, what, four days for that to all happen? <laughs> <laughs> Your memory is better than mine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dr. Walker, talk with us about um, how, how do we bridge the gap? You know, Governor Bevan says we need, we need to pray. Last night, you took a group of people and you went to pray. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to be totally transparent. A group from our church decided that after hearing the governor that they were going to go pray. And this was probably the fourth or fifth week. And uh, I had a conflict. I was on vacation. But I had no excuse not to go last night. And so uh, Park Hill is one of the very, very poorest communities in Louisville, in West Louisville, and uh, it was almost all women. We had one African brother, and I had prayed with them one night before on a Monday. They decided Monday would be the time that we'll walk Park Hill and pray, and that's what we did last night. We just walked all through Park Hill and prayed. Um, every pastor who attended that session with the governor has basically said the same thing to me because I could not be there. I had a conflict. In fact, didn't find out about it till about less than 24 hours before the event. Uh, I have to be transparent and say I was a little offended that many pastors in the West End were never invited. And it was only when an African-American pastor found out that some of us had not been invited that he took to the airways and said, pastors, you need to show up. All right. And so that's, that's the real story behind that. There was a select group of pastors invited, but probably some who are perceived to be more controversial or who wouldn't just, just accept uh, what the governor was going to share, even with an African-American as the lieutenant governor, uh, uh, they went. And this has been the universal response for everyone I've talked to. Everyone agrees that prayer is critical. We believe in the power of prayer. Mm -hmm. But prayer only is totally insufficient. So this group in our church, who some of them went that night, decided really on their own they were going to just go and pray. But what, what, what would I say to the governor? What am I hearing from these other pastors? First of all, some felt very insulted that the pastors 
who are working in these impoverished communities are not constantly praying and being constantly engaged with their community. They are. Mm -hmm. But the problem is um, we're always building bricks without straw, if you understand that biblical Mm -hmm. habitation here, Mm -hmm. that you're struggling just to keep the doors open. Our people are unemployed or underemployed. Mm -hmm. Many single-parent households, some we understand the drug issues and all of that, Um, but we need resources to help us change the community. Many now talk about the Ninth Street Divide in Louisville. I've talked to many Caucasians who've never been west of the Ninth Street of Ninth Street. You're a realtor, you've probably been there, but many of them don't ever go west of the Ninth, Ninth Street. And so what they, they have these perceptions, it's just the murder capital of Kentucky. Well, indeed, we had far, far too many murders. Most of them, I believe, are drug-related. Where are the drugs coming from? Who's supplying that to the community? A lot of men who are unemployed, why can't they get jobs? I mean, the Walmart situation there at 18th and Broadway, to have that thing stretched out and finally lost, we are so delighted that... uh, uh, the medical, I can't think of the name of it now, Uh, (laughs) Compass, Mm -hmm. is that it? They're coming, uh, the YMCA is building a new facility at 18th and Broadway. We don't have a decent grocery store in the whole West End. I I live in Middletown too. I live in Middletown because my wife and I for a while, uh, with a realtor, tried to find some housing in West Louisville but we really couldn't find a place that we wanted to raise our family, even though we are very committed to the community. So what we are saying to the governor is, Governor, um, think about churches like First Gethsemane, and we're just one of many. We have after-school tutoring. We have coding. We have a summer camp with 70 kids in it. Uh, We have a daycare center with 50 kids. Uh, We're going to be one of the five churches with the Boys of Color Academy in West Louisville. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are putting our effort where our values are. We are praying. (laughs) We're praying over all of these things. Uh, But, you know, because my wife and I are both professional people, both have a doctorate, we have been able to attract some professional people. But professional people, African Americans in particular, I'm not going to drive from where I live, Middletown, and drive all the way 30 miles on Sunday morning when they have so many choices east. Well, not only are we losing their income as tithers, hopefully they're tithers, but we're also losing Mm -hmm. their influence, not just income, but influence, that young African-American children can see these African-American professionals as models, as role models, so they can aspire to be. My wife, I told you, was extre- came from an extremely poor environment. She has an EDD, okay? Um, she's the first person in her family to go to college. Uh, her mother died when she was 13. She does, she's never known who her father was. 
But here's, here's a woman who's gone to college because a white women's club in Silver Spring, Maryland, found out that she was a stellar student, and they paid for her whole college education at a private school. God had it ordained for her to meet me there, you know. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, she's indebted to women who never met her, who heard about her. Someone told them about this very poor child. And so here's my point. I would say to the governor, I appreciate your Christian witness, and then surely we need persons who will speak for Christ at every level. But praying only is insufficient. You have all these churches that are trying to run all of these programs. We're writing grants and uh, you know, just doing anything we can do that is legitimate to keep these programs going with volunteers. Now, the tutoring program, we wanted uh, certified teachers because we needed to have people who had the credentials, had the background, that they could help these kids excel. And our tutoring program kids are excelling mm -hmm. in the school system. Uh, I have a grandson at our summer camp we call Teen Kid, 70 kids. Well, we don't just have camp and just have camp. They, they have tutoring every single day. Mm. All summer, for 11 weeks, mm -hmm. they're having tutoring for three hours because we know that educational success has a lot to do with behavior in school, mm -hmm. okay, with maybe being that first person in your family to go to college and it changes the whole family forever. Mm -hmm. Not that everyone has to have a college degree. We know that not everybody's going to qualify that, but you need to have a trade. You, you need to have something, Okay. And the statistics show a African-American male with a college degree only makes in lifetime earnings what a white male makes with a high school degree. Mm -hmm. And so we're preaching to our kids, as my parents preached to me, you don't need to be as educated as your white counterpart. You need to be better educated, okay? And so my parents who did not have college degrees all three of their sons have college degrees. My one brother has a law degree. I have a PhD. My other brother's had a, a great career, really with postal things. He's a hand guy, but he has, uh, you know, technology side. And I think my son picked up those genes. He sure didn't get it from his father. <laughs> and uh, but I mean, I, we have excelled because our parents drilled that in us. That's what we're trying to say to the, the governor. That part of turning this thing around is resourcing, not, not a handout, but a hand up. Mm -hmm. It's resourcing people so they get the opportunity to accomplish that which uh, they would not accomplish on their own. You know, you say, well, go home and do your homework. Well, we found out that most of our kids don't have a computer at home. School system is giving your homework on, online. Huh. Go down to the public library. One of my members told me this. One of the guys, a former principal who's running our tutoring program, he went down to the public library and the kids were lined up four deep to get to a computer, not to play, but to do their homework. I believe that because we go to the public library pretty regularly yeah. and mm -hmm. I'll, we hop at different ones. If, if I see a book yeah. I want to get, I'll go get it. Every computer is filled. Right. Yeah. And most of them are 
African Americans, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. just they're there, right? Because they don't have access to that. We know? wrote a grant. We just got sixty-two computers, sixty-two computers that we have in our com- kind of cu- computer lab that is portable. We pull it out. We have all the racks and everything for that because we're trying to find opportunities to help these kids keep up with the digital divide Mm. okay they may have a cell phone which they can't afford Uh, they may have a cell phone and 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 these kids know technology Mm. they they know all of that but to be successful today uh you've got to start this my my six-year-old grandson can do stuff that I I just hand him my phone. <laughs> Josiah, fix it. Just, just take fix care it. of it, you know, at six years old, because that's his exposure. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And and that's, that, that's, we're not against a governor. That, that's not, I think he misread the response. Uh, he, he took it very negatively. Uh, I think guys were just saying, Governor, you can really help us. I mean, we, we have a daycare center that's been open for 21 years. We have that daycare because I read in the newspaper that there were $25,000 grants to start daycare centers uh, at that time in Kentucky, of course, a Democratic uh, governor at that time. And so I wrote the grant myself, asking for the $25,000, because I don't think our church would have invested $25,000 to buy baby beds and all of that. You know, it took a lot of startup, startup costs, okay? Right. But 21 years later, you know, we have a new star system, five stars, daycare. We're a four-star daycare, okay? We are less expensive than almost any daycare you'll find in the area. My, my daughter trying to find daycare out east of town where she lives, $300 a, a week. Our daycare is 150 okay? Mm. Because we can't price our people out, mm-hmm. okay? And what we see our daycare is we have made a penny. We, we've made no profit. The, the church carries the custodial costs. We don't charge them rent. Uh, they don't pay, you know, everything we do, we do to, to support them. But we provide jobs for people who would be unemployed. We have a Christian environment for mm-hmm. kids, mm-hmm. okay? Yeah. Uh, I happen to be blessed right now because uh, Dr. Annette Bridges, who has her doctorate, is running my daycare because right now she can't find a job. She has an EDD and can't mm-hmm. find a job. She's applied for job after job. Maybe a little age discrimination. Discrimination has will discriminate against you for anything, you know, ball or hair or <laughs> gray or whatever. He'll get you, okay? Discrimination is, is an animal that just doesn't care, that takes no enemies, you know, takes no prisoners, rather. And so she has not been able to find a job. Super competent woman, okay? But she left Jefferson County, went someplace else. That didn't work out. When she came back, she couldn't get back into the Mm. system. So she's running my daycare. We're running at a higher level than you would ever expect. And so we owe that. And she actually is the one who's leading the prayer group Mm -hmm. because she was so moved Mm. by the need to help our community because the last person killed in 19... And, and 2016 was our member. Her son, Kevin, I won't call his last name, gave his life to Christ two weeks ago, and we had what we call Men's Day this past Sunday. Kevin, who is a tremendously gifted singer, led one of the songs in our men's choir, a two-week member 
whose mother was killed. We had her funeral on January 3rd, 2017, the last murder in Louisville, right around the corner from us. So yes, Governor, we agree. We need to be there and be visible and pray. And as I walked through that community last night, people would invariably say, oh, I know you, you're the guy on TV. Oh, I used to come to your church. Oh, my mother used to come to your church. And we kept saying, come. We didn't ask them for anything except come. Just come and and visit. Come and and let us minister to you, okay? And, And, you know, the school supply thing is we have to buy the supplies. Walmart helped us out, I'll be honest with you. When we did that 5,020 kids, Walmart helped us out. Uh, Cosair Charities helped us out. When they find that you're doing something for the community, there are people mm-hmm. who will partner with us. Southeast Christian uh, has helped out a number of churches in the uh, West End. Mm-hmm. And, and what we just have to say to all groups who help, it must be not paternalistic. It must be a partnership. Yes. And mm-hmm. so that's, I think that's a great part of, of turning West Louisville around. Uh, there's some real efforts by numbers of churches and pastors, very underpaid pastors, very dedicated to their community. Uh, and yes, they want what everybody else wants. They want their kids to go to the better schools. Mm-hmm. They want to live in the safe environment. I, I was brought under conviction once about uh, you know, this witnessing in the streets and all of that. And I realized that I told my wife and daughters, don't open the door to strangers. But we were the strangers going to doors. <laughs> so why should we expect, why should we expect people to graciously open our door to us? Because we're the strangers. I don't know who you are. You may be that witness group, you know, that goes from door to door, okay? And we don't see them as Christians. And so our issue was we have to have some other strategies to reach the community. That cold turkey knocking on doors is not proving to be very effective in this generation. Yes. Okay? Because I told my wife, don't open the door. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I bet you told your wife that, and your wife, your <laughs> wife, don't open the door to strangers. Yeah. So we have, to, so it's a term that a Southern Baptist guy really coined, a guy named Charles Roselle, First Baptist Church, Leesburg, Florida. He calls it ministry evangelism, mm. meeting needs to share Christ. So yes, Governor, we need to pray. That's a need, but we also need to meet some of the other kinds of needs. So we can win the privilege to share Christ with those in that community. I love uh, just just practical mm-hmm. things like computers. Right. We need mm-hmm. computers. We mm-hmm. need tutoring. We that's 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 rich. Chuck, any, any thoughts? Well, one of my one of my favorite podcasts one of my favorite podcasts is called Revisionist History with Malcolm Gladwell. He's a little bit controversial here or there. Um, in this season, he's dealing with racial issues, um, and, and so it's really extremely intriguing. But one of the things that they found in the research at, the, at Vanderbilt University in, in Nashville is that if African-American students have an African-American teacher between the third and the fifth grade, it increases the likelihood that they will graduate by 39%, just having one African-American teacher. 
What does that tell you? Uh, it tells me that we need to get more involved in the community, and we need to make sure that, as, as Dr. Walker is saying, African-American students have African-American examples because that, that is more encouraging. It's, it's more uplifting. But the other thing it says in, in what they found out in the research is, uh, and this was all research done with the gifted students, okay? And so gifted students who have uh, gifted African-American students who have only Caucasian teachers, they stand about a 50% chance of being spotted as truly being gifted if they have only Caucasian teachers. If they have at least one African-American teacher, they stand an equal chance to the truly gifted Caucasian students of actually getting the gifted services within the school system that they find themselves. A verse immediately comes to mind. It gives hope. It does. And hope deferred sickens the heart. Yeah, it does. But when, when, when there's hope, it, yeah. pro- it propels us to the next level. Right. I, I have to have an image. I have to have an example. Yeah. And I need to have that regularly. And if I have that example regularly, okay, then I've got a shot to actually make the step up that I need to make up. Okay? So as I've shared with you guys before, you know, I, I'm the first one in my family to have a college degree. Um, I have only one other cousin who has an undergraduate degree. He also went uh, to UC University of Cincinnati and got his master's degree, I think, in chemical engineering. Um, so we're the only two out of dozens and dozens of cousins who have master's degrees, and I've got two master's degrees and a doctorate, you know. Um, well, I had to have examples, but I got those examples in the Christian community. One of the great things, one of the many great things about First Gethsemane is, for me, it's the most educational or the most educated congregation I've ever been a part of. I mean, how, how, many, how many, you know, Dr. Walker, how many doctors do we actually have within the church? 20, 30, maybe, um, I think more than 30, actually. We have a lot, I'm not sure. Yeah, I think more mm-hmm. than 30. And I think for the number of master's degrees, I think we have somewhere around 100 to 150 um, members of the congregation who have their master's degrees. And so education is extremely important within the congregation. Uh, and so it's just one of the most intelligent congregations that I've ever been a part of. You know, so... Um, just brilliant, well-spoken individuals in the church, and I'm, I'm frankly, I'm not surprised by that. Well, okay. the, uh, you, you know, you've you've been a model to follow. Yeah, yeah. It's been interesting to see the number of more mature African Americans going back to school. Mm-hmm. Uh, we big, we make a big deal of finishing school. Mm-hmm. Uh, every year, we have an annual graduation at all levels. You know college, seminary, graduate school, and we actually dress in robes, academic robes, and have them march in doing a public worship service, uh, doing a regular Sunday morning worship mm-hmm. service, just because we want people to know that we value that. Now, education is not our God. Mm-hmm. We know that college is not for everyone, but indeed we want to emphasize to kids that you, you might be surprised who's back in school. A lady who passed four years ago, I think four or five years ago, was a senior citizen in our congregation Mm -hmm. who had served the Lord faithfully but felt a sense of calling for her life. So she went to Simmons College with some people laughing at her, going back to school. Why in the world are you going to school? You're already 70 years old or whatever. But she finished at Simmons their top student. I Mm -hmm. mean, they still applaud her. She didn't really live long after getting her, her bachelor's degree. 
But she says, I've been preaching to my kids and grandkids and great-grandkids the importance of going to school, and I needed to go and demonstrate that for them. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she did. That's a beautiful yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. What a wonderful lady. Mm-hmm. You know. that's, uh, that's, that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, that, is a, that is a perspective. What, the 28 minutes you've been talking, Dr. Walker, <laughs> Okay. No, we've been talking. Okay. Do you know that that is probably more time, may, I, and this is a very broad statement, but that is more time that most white Christians will ever hear an African-American pastor speak in their life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. That just dawned on me that we, we, won't, we won't hear that. We're not going to hear this gifted man or anyone like that most of our life ever because we have, and, and I'm not, it's not that we're, we should feel bad for going to a church that's predominantly white. I'm not, but the fact that we are missing out mm. on African brothers, African American brothers, who are in a, in a different culture, different end of town, wherever their church might be, we're missing out. What can, now we're not reaching everybody, <laughs> trust me, but we're reaching some people who would fit that demographic from your perspective and Chuck chime in here. Cause you, you you've got a, a Caucasian perspective, mm-hmm. right? Being in, a, involved in that church. Right. What would you say to the folks who are on the other end of town and they say, you know what? I'll rather than just making a donation to the, to the church's food pantry, which is good. Mm-hmm. How do I go literally and, and relationally or circumstantially make a difference in West Louisville. Mm-hmm. Now, they're both pointing at one another. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, Dr. Walker, as you, as you let out today, I, I think you just make a choice, you know. And, and in the beginning, when you make that choice to go to First Gethsemane and visit, or you make that choice to go to uh, a different uh, African-American congregation, which I don't see why you wouldn't choose First Gethsemane, you know, especially if Dr. Walker's preaching. Um, one of the benefits I can promise you you're going to get is you're going to see a passage of Scripture um, from a slightly different point of view uh, than you would hear in a Caucasian church. Mm. There's a slightly different point of view. It's, it's on point in agreement with Scripture 100%. But you're going to get a slightly different point of view that will enrich your life. It will add perspective to your life. Uh, and you might also along the way just see that God's a really funny God sometimes. Okay? I mean, think about this, and I've shared this with, with Dr. Walker before. Here I am, Caucasian, and I've preached four times in Harlem. So how many Caucasians do you know that have preached at all in Harlem, New York? Okay, I preach more in Harlem than Dr. Walker has. Okay. <laughs> God is a humorous God. But going to, going to Harlem and, and worshiping and serving some of the leadership at, at specifically one church, Bethel Gospel Assembly in Harlem, and, and just spending time and, and getting to know them and just saying, where I can help, just tell me and I'll help. Okay? Um, I promise you, when you do that, you will be blessed more than whatever energy you put out into the community. God will speak to you in ways that you've never been spoken to before because you've limited yourself to 
to looking to to looking at passages of scripture only basically from a Caucasian point of view. Mm. And when you go and worship with our brothers and sisters who happen to be African American and you engage in the congregation and you listen, you will be amazingly, stunningly blessed by that. So, Chad, you're right, man. Go. Go. Go and worship. It's a great blessing that you're cheating yourself of. And, you know, just hearing you say that, I was thinking, okay, yeah, I've already got a church home, but why don't, what do I need to do to go out into the community? And I think that's a great point. How about you even start with the, 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 your brothers and sisters in Christ in that community right, right, and right. use that as the starting point right. to kind of offshoot out into the mm-hmm. community because they've got a hand, they, the people who are in that area, they've got their finger on the pulse. They well, they know. do. They do. So, um, and I don't want to give the illusion that every church, and I'm not just kind of lifting up our church, we have mm-hmm. our sins like everyone else, um, but that every church is committed to some of the things we've been talked about, we've been talking about. Because mm-hmm. many times it's about leadership. Mm-hmm. Yes. It, it finally comes, you have to lead your people to be engaged, to whom much is given. We all know the passage, okay? And so, you know, kind of building on what what you said is that I have to say the same thing to more affluent African Americans who may choose, and they have a right to, a church that's not in the West End, okay? Uh, that, That doesn't exclude you or exempt you from the responsibility to be engaged mm-hmm. with where you've come from. Okay, our brother said, Brother Chad said, came from Shively. Well, even though you don't live in Shively, you still have a responsibility for Shively. Mm-hmm. I mean, as a Christian, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm from a little town called Heatsville, Virginia. My little home church would have a very difficult time having a full-time pastor and all of that. If those of us who came through that church did not somehow give some support. So we have a kind of homecoming celebration annually. And so many of our young people who could not find jobs in that that town have moved to the Washington, D.C. area in Baltimore, Philadelphia. And so we have clubs in those towns, those cities, that annually send money back to help this little country church mm. maintain the quality of ministry that they have. And they have a tremendous ministry at the church, far better than when I grew up. But it's because mm. those of us who live someplace else pool money together once or twice a year and send it there. And so they get a substantial offering on that Sunday that helps to meet their budget needs and gives them the, an educated, quality pastor. In fact, the previous pastor there, immediate previous pastor there, is one of my doctoral students here in that Southern Seminary. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, that's the kind of quality that they want for that community. Yes. The resources mm-hmm. are not there, so we help resource it. And that's what I think we have to do here. You know, I, I say to African Americans, not just your money, but the same thing we were talking about previously, all right? You have a job, your technology somebody, come down one day a week and work with these kids. Even if you don't choose that to be your church, give that time 
to, to a church or a ministry in the community, it can change a kid's life, okay? Maybe they don't have that role model. And that role model can be white. Uh, you know, one, one of the guys in our church who does the tutoring ministry two years ago was the big brother of the year. He took one young man through the traditional big brothers program, uh, single parent. He's been with that young man now mm, since elementary school. The kid is a junior, I think, in high school, something like that. Uh, this kid is excelling academically. Mm. It's because this one man who has two sons of his own who are grown has decided, I'm going to invest in one young man. Now, he's investing in doing tutoring for, for many others, but he's really invested in this one young man. Mm. This young man doesn't go to our church or anything like that. Uh, but we, we have tried to encourage our men, even internally in the church, Take one young man. My my son is all grown now. I have I have two grandsons, and so I tried to invest my time into them. But some of the men in our church have no little boys in their lives, or their boys have grown up. And we're saying, be a mentor, be like a big brother, you know. Take them to a game. Ask to see their report cards. Get the permission from the parents that you can actually go to the school and see how they're doing. It's one kid at a time because mm-hmm. that kid gets in the wrong group, gets in a gang. Here's a good kid, but if they get with the wrong group, somebody says, and they have nothing, you sell drugs for me. Mm. Okay, they can make more money in one day than their mother makes in two months. Uh, you know how tempting that is. But if you say, you know, you can make a good living for yourself. You can get a skill Get an education. You don't have to live a life where you have to walk around the streets with guns on your side or in your backpack and you forget and carry it to school and then get suspended. Yeah. So uh, we got uh, yeah. Um, we got a few more. Let's go about another six eight minutes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I heard you say was something we talked about in the first four segments. <clears throat> that phrase of "do for one what you would do for all." I love that statement. If it's Andy Stanley uh, mm-hmm. from Atlanta said that, that that man who said I made a difference in this young man, this young man's life, mm-hmm. he was a mentor to him. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people look at this big picture and how do you eat this elephant? One bite at a time, mm-hmm. one person at a time. Yeah. Right. And if if every we talked about this yesterday, if every white Christ following evangelical, you name it, whatever church you go to, if we said, okay, if are there enough are there enough single moms running around West Louisville that these men could partner up with numerically? I don't mean literally. I mean I know that's yeah. that, but is there I hear numbers thrown around. How many single moms are there? I mean I don't you may not know the dot I, I hear it could be as high as seventy six percent. Okay. Um and I get on my soapbox now because mm-hmm. you know I taught this stuff for years. Pastor, as long as you say a poem family. at the end of it, yeah. it'll preach. Okay. <laughs> no, <laughs> but uh, two uh, researchers, Alma Martin and Joanne Martin, husband and wife team, University of Maryland and Morgan State University, they wrote a book several years ago called The Black Extended Family, 
And their argument was that we have really done a great disservice when we only look at the nuclear family as a healthy family, father, mother, boy, girl, dog, cat, you know, uh, my little joke on that. But uh, he said, you got to look at the extended family. And that's not not black families, but it's really critical for African-American families uh, that sometimes the grandfather or the uncle has to fill that role of the father. So to say they're 70% or 50% single-parent households may not get us, give us the whole picture. Mm. But their argument is if that extended family network system is breaking down, then we really have a crisis. And I'm on the side of we really have a crisis mm-hmm. because of the like of the kind of men in the lives of our children, boys and girls, that they can aspire to greatness. God wants us to be great, okay? They need a healthy male in their lives. Some of them have identity issues. They're raised by boys or raised by mothers and grandmothers. And so if they, and then many today are not in church. And so you see why they are so confused about their sexual identity, okay? Because they don't have a healthy model there. They often are abusive to women because Mm. all they see in the media is just the opposite. They don't know what a loving, caring, mentoring man is in their lives. Therefore, the church needs to be the centerpiece again. Part of what they don't have in their book, The Black Extended Family, is the church. I believe historically what we saw as the black church was the other part of the extended family. And again, it's just Mm. too much of me talking today, but please forgive me. But when I went to college as the first in my family really to go to college, get a degree anyway, my church members followed me all the way to college. Mm. When I was in college, you got to remember, I'm an old guy, so it was 60s and 70s. When I was in college, it was nothing for the little ladies in my church to send me a letter with $5 in it and address me as their boy, mm. as their son, because I was their church son. And they, want, they invested in me because they wanted in me what they didn't feel they had the opportunity to have in their lives. Mm-hmm. And so when I was in school acting silly, doing all the kind of things you do when you go to college and, <clears throat> and first time away from home, a little bit behind me in my head was those little ladies back in my home church. Who had invested. Who had invested in me, and I'd better not get too crazy here, mm-hmm. okay? And let, let me tell you, a little different now. When I went home, they want to know what my grades were. <laughs> they more than my parents. How are you doing? Okay, we, we, I, I know I'm going back to the good old days. Not everything wasn't so good, mm-hmm. but the reality is there was an investment in the broader community, and in a way, that's what we're trying to do and, right and, now. And that's what God's called all of us, all of us to do, all yes. of us to do. Yeah. Well, he has called us to invest in what, because what you're talking about, this is investment in the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, 
it, it it's takes, a kingdom agenda, not a church agenda. Absolutely. Amen. This is a big C, capital C church right. issue, mm-hmm. and that God's called us to uh, invest and to seek ye first the kingdom of God. Right. And he'll take care of all the other things. You know, we got to seek first the kingdom of God. It's been an absolute joy and rich, mm-hmm. rich mm-hmm. to hear from you guys. Been great to be with you. Thank you. Thank yeah. you very, great very to be much. Here, guys. Thank you. So, uh, yeah, this is a bonus segment. And boy, what a bonus segment it was. And, uh, you know, hearing all this, guys, uh, if you want to change the West End, go change one life. There, there's one you want to know a dangerous prayer well, we just sat we just sat through a doctoral uh, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 class here well I think I think we're going to get I think we're going to get credit for that <laughs> I never got my degree I think this should go towards that but my, my you know a dangerous prayer we can pray is Lord would you send me someone to love that doesn't mm. look like me sound like me not from yeah. my neighborhood and yeah. Lord help me to love them well and, and I bet you that's a prayer he wants to answer mm, and don't no. forget that a lot of white boys in the west end Yes. Oh yeah. Right. Yes. A right. lot of them are in the same boat. Right. Yes. They're in Portland and in those areas. Right. Right. And they're very impoverished, and they will end up on the streets as well if somebody doesn't reach down and mm-hmm. create for them an opportunity mm-hmm. to get away, but to get away to come back to help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the key. That's good. It is a deep problem with a lot of deep answers, but the very first step. We're the show is called Solid Steps Radio. And the whole idea of it is taking steps to walk with God. First step might be, let's just say, hey, God, where do you want me to go? What big brothers, big sisters, whatever program it is, but maybe going to a church in, in that end of town and saying, hey, how can I help? So thank you for listening to Solid Steps Radio. Hope you've enjoyed this bonus segment with Dr. Vaughn Walker and Dr. Chuck Tackett. Thanks for listening to Solid Steps Radio. <laughs>